0: Funny how it be funny like I'm a clown, it you like I'm a clown 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 I'm a clown rosebud ladies and gentlemen welcome to another episode of the silver screen rosebud. video This is Jonathan, here with my great co-host, Jacob. Jacob, um, how are things going? How how are things going in the Big Apple, you know, New York City? Things are going good.
1: Um, You know, I'm walking here. Meatballs, uh, taxi cabs, uh, bodegas, you know, all that. Chopped cheese, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I do want to mention, though, really quick, because we got to. We got a little bit of a, uh, not a time crunch, but we got a little bit of a, uh, we got to do this in one take, you know, cause we're recording this on a Tuesday. We release on a Wednesday, a little peek behind the curtain. Um, I want to mention this up front because our last episode, our, uh, Louis Spoonwell episode, um, didn't mention it till the end. Folks, you want more of this good shit. You got to go to patreon.com slash silver video. What do we got over there, John?
0: Yeah, I was wondering where you were going with that. Uh, Yeah, we got silver small screen video over there right now, guys, working our way through the fantastic series that is Mad Men. We are currently in the midst of season two, getting ready to wrap that up over the next few weeks. We also do the silver screen video after dark, which is just me and Jacob talking about movies, pretty much whatever comes up, talking about what we've been watching. Uh, we may or may not dabble in another film series. Uh, we tried Godzilla for a bit, and then we both went insane. Um, <laughs> so uh, we're we've got some we've got some other things we're possibly looking into that could be a little fun series. But either way, uh, you just get a little more relaxed take on uh, on what we're doing and and kind of what we watch that isn't podcast related. So it's a lot of fun over there.
1: Yeah, you got an extra three bucks. You got Silver Screen After Dark. Uh, A couple times a month, you know, just a little catch up what we've been watching, that kind of thing Uh, for free form. Like John said, you got an extra couple dollars more than that. You got five dollars a month. You'll get that and you'll get access to our silver small screen video where, like John said, we're doing Mad Men. Um, Let's say you got 10 bucks you want to part with. Let's say you got a Alexander Hamilton you want to part with. Um, A, you'll have our uh, eternal gratitude for supporting the pod, but you'll also uh, get to pick a movie for us to talk about. Uh, we've had uh, a couple of uh, couple of people do that, and uh, they've been satisfied with the results. And frankly, they've been good movies, so we've been happy with it too. But uh, enough plugs. Uh, if you want to see more, want to hear more, I should say, Patreon dot com slash Silver Screen Video. Uh, should we get to today's topic?
0: yeah but I, I have two quick things. Uh, you just made me google who's on the ten dollar bill because I, I did not know it was Alexander Hamilton.
1: <laughs> hell yeah dude so P- piling up them Hamiltons
0: Now I want to make a movie like called all about the Hamiltons um,
1: Wait, hold on of all
0: about the Benjamins
1: Wait, hold on so um lo- look it up and test me right I know I know uh wait, I was gonna say I know, but I don't know who's on the one dollar bill? benjamin franklin right no benjamin franklin's on the hundred
0: george washington yeah dude franklin's is all about the benjamins george washington our yeah, greatest yeah, president yeah. is on george the
1: washington bill. and then lincoln is on the five uh who's on the 20 is that andrew jackson
0: i do believe so i do believe so what um,
1: about the 50 i know there's a 50 dollar bill
0: i'm just gonna cut you off okay uh um, we're not <laughs> what this, this is deal. good content we're not doing a currency challenge. I want to say one more thing that kind of loops back to what we were talking about before, uh, before we jump to our very heavy topic of today. Um, I've given you ample opportunity to mention the Ninja turtles. Every time I throw it to you and talk about the big apple and you never have. And we've been doing this podcast for like 17 months. So I'm miffed slightly about this. Um, Look,
1: um, What am I supposed to say? Kawabunga? Is that what you want to hear?
0: I don't know, man. Talk about Ninja Turtles eating pizza in the sewer. I mean, we have talked about the Ninja Turtles on the podcast, but we've never like I've never like had you reference Ninja Turtles to like, you know, New York.
1: (sighs) Look, Ninja Turtles just makes me think of the 90s, you know, which just makes me sad. Um, So, you know, I try to keep it. That's a fair point. Okay, hold on. Uh, I I just pulled it up. Uh, According to the United States Mint, we got seven denominations here. Okay, we got the one dollar note, George Washington. We got the five dollar note, Lincoln. We got the ten, which is of course Hamilton. We got the twenty, which is Andrew Jackson. The hundred, Benjamin Franklin, and the fifty, Ulysses S. Grant.
0: Okay, guys, for those of you that are still awake, our main topic, (laughs) our main topic this week. Wait, wait,
1: wait, 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 hold on. I said seven denominations, but I only listed six because did you know that there is a $2 note that is official U.S. currency and it uh, features none other than the third president of these United States of America, Mr. Thomas Jefferson.
0: I did. I have had many $2 bills in my day.
1: Well, there you go. Now everybody knows. Okay, now we can move on.
0: That's great. Guys, our main topic this week is <laughs> uh, is a little thing. You know, we're doing a Martin Scorsese religious trilogy. Now, my wife gave me the idea to for us to call this episode the Martin Scorsese Trinity, um, which is interesting, but I don't know if it'll take. Um, yeah, it doesn't quite roll
1: off the tongue.
0: Yeah, it really doesn't. Uh, but I mean, I like I like the idea of it because of of the three. But hey, uh, Katie, I think
1: we'll st- stick to your fucking day job.
0: Uh, I think we'll stick to trilogy. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I just want to talk real quick before we jump into it, because for those of you that don't know, the Martin Scorsese religious trilogy starts with The Last Temptation of Christ. And then it moves to Kundun. So we're dealing with Jesus, the actual, like, Jesus Christ. And then we're dealing with the Dalai Lama in Kundun. And then in silence, we're dealing with Jesuit priests who are undergoing a ridiculous amount of persecution in Japan in the 1600s. Um, So, you know, it's no, like, we've talked about Scorsese. You know, we did an episode with Glenn Kinney a while back about Goodfellas. He, Martin Scorsese has came up a lot, especially when we did our top five favorite movies and all that, because he's my favorite director. But I I love that we're talking about these movies because I feel like, you know, we hear a lot about Martin Scorsese only makes mafia movies. And Martin Scorsese only likes to examine like toxic masculinity and, and whatever other bullshit film Twitter or somebody else can cook up. So I think it's interesting to examine these three absolutely beautiful movies that have to do with humanity and struggling faith and just religion. Because honestly, as we've discussed with Scorsese before, that's kind of a through line for him going back to him being raised in the Catholic Church. So it's really interesting to just examine it through that lens with why score says he was drawn to these projects.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I think even, he even considered going into the priesthood at one point.
0: Absolutely. Um, yeah.
1: You know, so, so obviously this is something that is near and dear um, and shows up throughout a lot of his films. Yeah. You know, I mean the, the whole score says he only directs gangster movies. I mean, come on, man. Like, I mean, you just, you know, you, you just have to be an idiot to, 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 for that to still be the the take on Scorsese, I mean, he's made twenty five movies, um, one of the most uh, eclectic uh, filmographies of any major director. Certainly, um, he's also made I didn't I literally did not know this number was this high. He's made sixteen full length documentaries, which is uh, yeah, which
0: is crazy because also those documentaries are huge. I mean. Right like absolutely gigantic documentaries about Woodstock and Bob Dylan and, and, and the list goes on. Like he just, he, he is drawn to certain things, which is what I really love about Scorsese, because like you said, it's very eclectic. Like he is all over the map. And like, if you put on the last temptation of Christ or Kundun or silence, and then have somebody watch Goodfellas next, it's like, yeah, that's the same director. That's the same storyteller. Yeah. And that's just it's mind blowing.
1: Yeah, I mean not to mention his uh you know not to mention his um you know his short films which got the the great um you know Criterion release I think last year um his involvement um with television uh both uh Boardwalk Empire uh Vinyl the uh Pretend It's a City uh uh show on Netflix, you know, so I mean, we're talking about, um, you know, we're talking about, I mean, he even directed the music video for uh, Michael Jackson's Bad uh, from 1987. So, I mean, we're talking about an eclectic filmmaker and, um, you know, hey, these three movies are um, just uh, just, you know, just part of the mosaic that makes up his um, his career. Um, Yeah. What do you think, man? Should we jump into the first one?
0: Yeah. And I want to say, like, I, I'm really excited to talk about these, not just because obviously I'm a little biased because I do believe Scorsese is the greatest living filmmaker. But most importantly, uh, in terms of this episode, this is your first time watching all three of these movies, correct? hmm. Mm hmm. So I'm very curious to hear what you think about them, because it's a rarity on this podcast that we go into something without having an idea of what the other person thinks about said property so i'm uh, i'm excited
1: yeah man it's um you know let's let's go into it i mean the last temptation of christ from 1988 i mean i'd i'd never seen this you know it it had always been on my radar um but you know it's just a movie about the life of jesus just you know is not going to be at the top of my list um you know i grew up religious um we both grew up religious and, you know, just, um, even, a even Scorsese, I was just like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about this. And, um, you know, of course I, I watched it and was, and was blown away. Um, written by Paul Schrader. Uh, so we get another, um, another collaboration between Scorsese and Paul Schrader. Um, yeah, I don't know any context you want to give before we dive into it. I mean, spoiler alert, I loved it, but, um, but, yeah, what context should we give? I mean, it wasn't um, wasn't a particular box office hit. I mean, well, it wasn't a box office hit. It was notable. People protested it. Um, but, of course, critically acclaimed. Um, Peter Gabriel's score uh, has taken a life of its own and become, like, just a good album in and of itself um, that's notable. Um yeah i don't know what else? david bowie's in this bad boy you know uh playing pontius pilot no less um i don't know man any any context we should give before we start uh diving in
0: i mean not not really a ton because not much more than you've just given because honestly like there's still like this movie was in development for a long time there's a lot mm-hmm. of stories about who was going to be cast and who scorsese wanted and it took so long to make it that certain people passed but i mean That's just all like it's not really relevant, but I will say that um, Paul Schrader wrote the script originally and then Scorsese and Jay Cox and his name will come up again, Mm -hmm. um, did an unaccredited rewrite. So with with how cynical Schrader is, and he's a fantastic director in his own right, on top of being a phenomenal writer. I'm very, I, I, I was, I've always been very interested to see what that original script was. Cause it's based on the book It's based on a book that was written in 1955. That got. I'm not even going to attempt to say his name. I'll say his first name, Nikos. It got <laughs> Nikos excommunicated from the church. It right. was a huge deal when it came out. And I, I want to say Paul Schrader gave or recommended the book um, to Scorsese. And uh, anyway, as soon as he read it, he, he wanted to make a movie. The 80s was a very lost time for Scorsese.
1: Mm. He,
0: you know, he has stated more than once. I've read numerous books of his as well, where he has talked about, been interviewed about where he literally thought um Raging Bull was going to be his final movie. Right. So there was a lot of darkness around this point in Scorsese's life, going through divorces and, and going through, you know, bullshit with the industry that he just didn't really like dealing with. So there there's just a shadow around this film and um and you know then you get the controversy you get to death threats there was a failed terrorist attack on a theater in france i mean there Mm -hmm. was a big deal when this movie came out because there was some very edgy things in this movie when it comes to dealing with jesus and um and obviously that rubs a lot of people the wrong way we live in a very crazy world when it comes to religion and Catholicism, I believe is still the second most popular religion in the world, if I'm not mistaken. So you can clearly see there's a problem. Um,
1: Yeah. You know, um, yeah. I mean, where to begin. I, you know, the movie kind of begins in a really, um, it begins in media res, you know, it begins kind of just in the middle. It throws you down in the middle for a while. You know, I, I'm as familiar with, um, the story of Jesus as told in the Gospels as anybody. And, um, you know, the, it, it really begins kind of in the middle. And I, I was really confused at the beginning. I was like, okay, well, what, you know, because the, the short version of Jesus's story, he, you know, spent the first 30 years of his life and then he had three and a half years of going around ministering, you know, that's roughly the time period that the gospels cover. And then of course he's crucified and the, the movie basically begins at, at that age at 30 uh, for him. But you don't really know that until he, um, you know, starts doing the the things that are more familiar from the gospels. Like Judas uh, shows up early and it's like, apparently they knew each other before, um, before Jesus like called his 12 disciples. Um, uh, Mary Magdalene shows up uh, before, you know, she shows up in the gospels and, um, and we get some kind of um, early indications of, of of Jesus Christ being this tortured soul who is confused and doesn't know if the devil is speaking to him or if it's God and um, this kind of, you know, the psychic weight that would come with being half man, half God. I mean, he's um, trying to punish himself. He's making crosses to crucify his fellow, uh, Jewish rebels of the Roman empire. Um, but then after the first, uh, probably, I don't know, 25, 30 minutes, um, it really kind of, um, uh, settles down into the pocket of being the typical Jesus narratives we get water into wine. Um, you know, Lazarus, things like that. Um, was that, is that your experience of this?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I, I personally, you know, I've, I've, this is my third time watching this movie. It is not one. Uh, obviously, you've already said you loved it, so we can both say we love it. But it's not one you're just going to pop on, right? You're not just sure. going to sit down and watch this three because it's pretty brutal at times. And, and obviously, you know, we're pretty familiar with I, I mean, I will say a movie like this is preferable to a movie like Passion of the Christ because mm-hmm. I love Mel Gibson. I think he's a phenomenal director but I feel like it was a little gratuitous at times, you know? So this really dives into what I always found interesting as a child growing up in church, which was Jesus dealing with the fact that he was going to be crucified. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: at what point did he find out that his death was imminent and things like that. So dealing with it in the beginning, you know, that's really how it goes. Like until you get to the, the quote unquote twist at the crucifixion. I mean, it it follows suit exactly what you just said. Um, but I, 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 it's interesting because he, he approaches it now. I've never read the book, but I'm assuming obviously they follow it pretty closely. So it's almost like they approach it from a mental illness in the beginning. Yeah. Like, because he's not sure he's petrified that it's demons and the devil. And obviously you're in a whole different, you're in a whole different world of issues. If it's not God talking to you. So I just really love the way they they kind of introduced that.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll tell you this. I went into this expecting like there to be some, you know, religious um, thematics, obviously, because of the nature of the story. But I, I expected this to be kind of Scorsese doing Spartacus, right? Because, you know, part of Scorsese's career has been. um you know, doing things just for the fun of them almost in a way, you know, shutter Island is kind of his, uh, film noir or, you know, Cape fear also maybe fits into that. Um, you know, the aviator is his tribute to classic Hollywood, you know, Hugo, you know, is a tribute to like turn of the century culture, George melier and train stations and, you know, kind of like a children's paradise, you know, um, or the kind of kid that Scorsese was, you know, um, you know, and 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 um, you know, I thought this was going to be his Spartacus, his sword and sandals epic. You know, that's kind of or Ten Commandments. You know, that's that's kind of what I was expecting, and largely through the middle part that holds true, I think. Um, and but the beginning, that first twenty five to thirty m- minutes, that's when I really felt the Paul Schrader uh, influence. That's when I really felt the Jesus is tortured by this um these warring sides within him you know like you said the mental illness it reminded me of first reformed I mean there's even the the tortured you know psyche of uh fucking what's his name Rupert Pupkin and 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 um uh Taxi what's driver his Taxi driver oh, yeah, I'm sorry yeah. King
0: of comedy Rupert Pupkin King of comedy
1: yeah no I was thinking of both of them though um okay yeah tra- Travis yeah. Bickle yeah like just the element of just like god's lonely man you know um and that gives way to a largely pleasurable just kind of tale of his of jesus's life and one thing that struck me about the kind of middle part of it where we're just kind of getting a, I don't want to say paint by numbers but we're getting a pretty standard um you know depiction of of the life of jesus is the the visuals and the like this is really like past is a foreign country territory. Like, you know, th- th- there's this like sanitized version of, um, you know, Christianity of like John the Baptist was like, you know, a Protestant Methodist preacher or something, you know, that's how he's often depicted. And people forget like, this is, you know, the roots of Christianity are in Jewish mysticism. You know, this is, John the Baptist would have been as alien to the modern Christian as a modern Muslim would be to a modern Christian. You know, the, the these are these are essentially Jewish mystics living in the Middle East before the invention of Christianity. They did not act like, you know, what Protestants act like today or what Protestants think the Bible was like. These you know, their practices, there there's dancing and there's this shaking and there's naked people and there's people painting themselves. And, you know, this is a vastly different environment than um, we normally think of when we think of the Protestant vision of the life of Christ. It's one that's very rude. There's a lot of Brown and black people. It's, you know, it's rooted in this kind of middle Eastern pre-Islamic pre-Christian you know Ju- Judaic mysticism that is um I, about as foreign to modern religious uh uh tales or depictions as I've seen uh, and I was I was kind of astounded by that to be honest it, it was um yeah I don't know that, that that really stuck out to me
0: no i I agree that the colors everything it felt like you remember when it didn't get this far out there, but I'm going to say like, did you ever watch Noah from Darren mm-hmm. Aramowski?
1: Mm-hmm. And that
0: was based more on like traditional tech. So you got fucking rock creatures showing up and stuff like Lord yes. of the Rings. Yep. Um, this really took more of like, you know, the, the women have these tattoos on their hands and their faces. And yeah. the, I mean, this was shot entirely on location in Morocco They wanted to do it in Israel, but that fell through. So the landscape is gorgeous. And Mm. when you're looking at all these colors and all these costumes and and honestly, they're they're gypsy like 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 you're saying, these are not traditional. Yeah. Like, I I think sometimes, especially for us growing up, like you got the idea that they were like John Wesley running around. Yes. Yeah. You know but they weren't they were basically these gypsy-like figures that were just going around doing what apparently they felt compelled to do by the voice of god and i loved like the i don't i don't think the book ever set out to reinvent the will i just think it was it was something that showed you that i guess how depending on your view of the bible that there was doubt a little bit with what Jesus thought he was supposed to do because there wasn't a clear road laid out for him. So when you look at this, when you look at, at, at how he's struggling to, to believe and, and, and follow, um, I, I especially love how they did the desert scene when he had to go out in the desert and when he was out there for 40 days and, I just love that aspect of it because in all three of these movies, Scorsese bleeds through as the storyteller. Mm -hmm. And I'm not being biased because I love Scorsese. I love Clint Eastwood does it sometimes. I love when these directors, these, these, these auteurs tell a story that is very personal to them. And like, you can see this is some stuff they struggle with. Mm -hmm. And with last temptation, we really get that now. I think we should talk about what really throws most people off of traditional Christian faith, which is when the angel shows up and says, you know, your father is a God of mercy and Jesus basically gets off the cross.
1: um, Well, well, before we get to that, I do want to draw attention to just a couple of set pieces.
0: Oh yeah. um, Yeah, for sure.
1: Because there's a couple of really incredible set pieces here. I mean, I mean, you know, I'll never forget, the Quentin Tarantino did an interview one time where he was talking about uh, There Will Be Blood. And he was talking about how, you know, the the oil derrick in There Will Be Blood exploding is every much a, a kind of action set piece as like a car chase, right? Or a scene from Kill Bill, right? There, when we say set piece, we're talking about a piece of cinema that doesn't necessarily, you know, you get all this thing of like, Oh, this doesn't move the narrative forward or whatever, which I I fucking hate that shit because it's like, well, if we're just moving the, the narrative forward, I mean, what are we doing here? You know, but, um, like we're talking about something that is kind of, uh, different than the, the pace of the rest of the movie and it's kind of showy or, you know, basically we're talking about the cool shit, you know, and there's a number of those. One of them is when Lazarus, um, gets raised from the dead. Uh there's like a a little kind of zombie movie set piece almost in the middle of it. Uh where like Jesus is like looking into the dark tomb and kind of like, Am I raising this guy from the dead? I don't know. What's what's going on here? And then we get, you know, Lazarus's uh dead withered hand, you know, kind of jutting into the frame. You know, that's a really um good moment. And the moment that you mentioned um, is really, really, um, uh, impactful whenever he's in the desert and he draws the circle in the sand and we have the, um, is it the snakes? Did the snakes come back?
0: Yeah. The snakes come back. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The snakes come back and then we have the lion, uh, and then we just have the, the flame, you know, which represents, you know, all three of those things representing, you know, Satan tempting, uh, Christ in the desert. And um, uh, there's another one where uh, there's another. Oh, yeah, there's one where he he throws an apple core and there's there's uh, all of a sudden an apple tree there. There's kind of these like almost magical moments, you know, um, and one of them is whenever he um, one of them is whenever the, the snake, the two snakes come out of him. Are they two snakes or is there is it a, it's supposed to be a two headed snake? Um, It was
0: hard. It was hard to tell. I want to say they were going for like a two headed snake, um, but it was hard to tell.
1: Yeah. And like that kind of, you know, obviously you mentioned the story of him being tempted in the wilderness and um, uh, the the two headed snake, you know, represents kind of Jesus's conversion from being a quote unquote normal person at the age of 30 to being the Messiah and coming into his own and and into his, you know, kingdom here on earth. Um, And These are really powerful, man. These are really powerful depictions. I mean, I've I've been saying it for years. You know, I would love to see like a fucking book of revelation, uh, you know, uh, movie or something like that. And like this, this kind of delivered on that level, man, where he's like bringing this like religious imagery to life. And, you know, because of the way that the Bible is written, I guess, depending on which version you get, but, you know, because of the way the Bible is written, it's not really super descriptive, you know, and so. I don't know just bringing those moments to life like that are i mean they're just captivating you know it's i mean it'd be whether or not it's a religious text or not it would be the same you know if uh well it was the same when aronofsky did noah you know or if fucking peter weir decided to do moby dick next year or something you know like it's 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 just fucking cool you know there's there's no other way around it
0: I agree. And I feel like sometimes we get lost with these. I understand being passionate about something, but I feel like sometimes with, with things like this, we get lost in the weeds with actual like, Oh, this is what I believe, or this is what I was raised to believe in. But, so I can't see something that differs in the least. Yeah. And it's like, well, you're kind of cutting your legs out from under you in terms of art, because I mean, yeah, this movie and what, well, and the first time I watched this movie, also, I was just like, I don't understand the the big deal, honestly, as someone who was raised in church, because I mean, spoiler alert, he he ends up he ends up being crucified. Like, um, so, yeah, well, but, let's jump
1: um, into that. You you mentioned that you wanted to jump into that. I mean, let's jump into it. I mean, well, obviously, before I before we oh, do, sorry. I wanted
0: to throw you mentioned the Lazarus scene and that was yeah. a great scene when the hand breaks out of the shadow. But one thing you, you kind of briefly mentioned it, but I want to say, I appreciate it this moment because there was some casual moments with the water to wine. And there was a casual moment when he put the guard's ear back on after it was cut off. But, um, he really like, they did a fantastic job of Defoe conveying doubt. Because he yeah. had no idea if Lazarus was going to walk out of this pit or not. Yeah. And it was just a beautiful scene. Everything about it. The lighting was perfect. It was just, it was a really well done set piece. And, and I wanted to to double down on, on what you said, because yeah, it was just, it was beautiful.
1: No, that happens, you know, that happens a lot in the movie. I mean, he, he says, you know, it's kind of, and I will say that, I mean, not, I don't even know if this is a bad thing, but it's kind of wordy in some places where. Defoe is saying like, like he comes out and he says, I opened up my mouth and love came out, you know, and like, I, I don't know why I said that, you know, so there's this, they they keep going back to that well of like, he doesn't quite know exactly what he's doing. You know, these, he is God on, I mean, you know, I, I feel like we fully don't, you know, and not to say that it's real, but taking it for meeting it at its at its level which is, you know, as a work of literature, as a work of art, and to some people, you know, it's more than that. And so like taking it at that level like we're talking about a human being who is supposed to be both the third member of the godhead and also fully a man in every way shape or form, you know. And and uh, Paul in the New Testament, which we'll get to him later, you know, he calls these mysteries, you know, these are the mysteries of Christ or the mysteries of the church. And the reason they're called mysteries is the way that we would call them today would probably be paradoxes or the way that, you know, philosophy calls like Zeno's paradox or whatever. These are, these are paradox that cannot be puzzled out by the human mind. You know, that is the, that, that is the core of kind of these, the mysteries of the church. They don't try to explain them. They cannot be explained. They must simply be accepted by faith. And, you know, Christ being both fully God and fully man is, is one of those mysteries. It's one of those paradoxes. And it's, it's how do you convey that in cinematic terms? And I think Scorsese does an amazing job of conveying that, like you said, in the doubt, you know, he's peering into that, that tomb and he's thinking, did that work? Did I just raise this motherfucker from the dead? You know, and he is as shocked as everybody else when Lazarus comes out, you know, um, And I also think that comes with the whole love thing. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of talk of love and stuff. And I think it's important to remember what Christ represented, whether or not you believe he even existed or not as a figure, he represented a, a break from the quote unquote barbaric past of, you know, treating each other with the kind of respect that we would want to be treated, you know? um, as opposed to, um, you know, just uh, inflicting as much uh, damage on other people as we can in order to get ahead or get an advantage or whatever. And, you know, I'm not saying this was like, I'm not saying Jesus was the first person or the followers of, you know, early Christians were the first people to think like this or to give these thoughts. Obviously there was Greek philosophy, there was Roman philosophy, but this is the first, like, turning point of like no this is a virtue in and of itself treating other people well whereas the ancient greeks were like okay how best can we run this society right but like the, the early christian thing was like no treating people well is in and of itself a virtue loving someone and tr- loving someone in the sense that you you know you you treat them well you do everything you can for their benefit serving others for no other reason than the pure joy of serving them you know this is this is a philosophical paradigm that is largely invented with the christ figure and how do you how do you convey that you know how do you, how do you convey that in cinematic terms and this is I mean, Scorsese just, just does it. He has, I don't know. He he said, you know, like I said, he says, uh, I don't know why I just opened my mouth and the word love kept coming out and he keeps referring to it. You know, he argues with, uh, with Harvey Keitel's Judas, which we should, we should mention Harvey Keitel and the controversy of that performance, you know um, he wants, Judas wants to defeat the Roman empire with the sword, which was also a historical thing that was going on at the time. The Maccabees rebelled against the Roman empire Uh, because they were subjects of it and they were, it was imperialism and on and on and on. And and Christ is the exact opposite message of that and saying, no, our victory is not going to be political and physical. Our victory is going to be spiritual. um, And the kind of inward uh, growth and development and love and so on. Um, So, yeah, I don't know The the movie just like displays that and really kind of doesn't, pick a side it doesn't really explain everything it just kind of um portrays it and that's it and i think that's all you can do you know
0: no and i think that when when it comes to how to convey that message properly on on in the cinematic um since uh they they nailed it i mean mm-hmm. and they really did the, the best they could do with it because you know i grew up like under the impression when I was a kid and stuff that, yeah, Jesus was super confident with everything he was doing. Right. Like there was never doubt, like, because doubt's a sin, blah, blah, blah. Like, um, so it's interesting just when you, when you, cause that's what I always thought as a kid, like, well, man, this is pretty heavy. Like, like did, you know, you have these literal images about Well, did God directly come talk to him or was it just kind of, madness a little bit and you just Mm -hmm. kind of got these breadcrumbs and i love how the movie really did just show us breadcrumbs there's a part when john the baptist is like go into the desert to find him like that's where you're gonna find him Mm -hmm. so it's like go suffer and then you will find what you're looking for right and uh it's just really interesting uh we can touch on harvey cattell real quick before we get to the third act um Big thing. Uh, I, I didn't like Harvey Harvey Keitel in this movie. Sometimes with with uh, with director friendships, you know, <laughs> thing, things can mistakes can be made. Um, you know, some people believe that you know Michael Madsen isn't a good actor, and and Tarantino working with him the way he has like it just just doesn't work. But I obviously I disagree with that one. But with this, I love Harvey Keitel. I think Harvey Keitel is one of the best actors to have ever lived. But I think this was not good. In my opinion, I thought it the first time and I thought it this time I watched it. He's a wise guy, Judas. Um, It just doesn't work for me. It's,
1: it's tough. It, it, you know, it's tough. It really is. It's kind of like the de-aging thing in the Irishman. It's like Scorsese movies, you know, with the exception of the untouchables like taxi driver and, you know, raging Bull and goodfellas. Scorsese always has to have like one bad thing in his movies just to like remind you he's human, you know, almost. And that's kind of how I felt about Harvey Keitel as Judas. Like Harvey Keitel as Judas would be completely fine the shock of red hair which I don't is really strange, but
0: and not just red hair but like kind of a a coiffed fro or whatever. Like it, dude, it um, looks like
1: clown hair. It literally yeah, looks like a Yeah, r- it really whip. does. Yeah, yeah, and that accent, man. Like, I, like I, I don't get it. Like, I don't get it. I, I, I literally don't know if it was intentional or if Scorsese just overlooked it or if he didn't even notice it because it was Harvey Keitel. Like, Harvey Keitel is literally not modifying his accent or his voice whatsoever. Whereas Willem Dafoe, you know, Willem Dafoe is 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 acting. You know, he he's modifying his body, his voice. You know, Harvey Keitel is just like. Jesus, I don't think that's right. <laughs>
0: like, <laughs> yeah. I'll Especially tell you, pal, when, I don't when, think that's when, right. When he's breaking it to him that he has to die, and then he's basically telling him, you have to betray me and things like that. Like, there was just this, you know, the only time I really bought his performance, and I'm not beating up on Keitel, but I'm just I'm being honest about the movie. The only time I bought his performance was at the end When he comes in and he's not talking because he's angry and he's got blood on his fist and you can just tell he is pissed because like, you know, Jesus, you, you did not do what you said you were going to do, man. Like you kind of screwed us. And, um, and when he starts screaming and like Jesus's wounds start coming back, it's a, it's a very good, it's a very compelling scene. I don't know where that was at for the rest of the movie. But for that scene, it was fantastic.
1: Yeah, when he has to act, act like it's really good and powerful. But like when he's like, there's one throwaway scene where he's like, they're just like walking past. I think it's at the wedding at Cana when they turn the water into wine, and they're walking past, and like literally, Harvey Keitel goes, "Don't touch me!" Like, yeah, it's like what? Like what the fuck? Like you know? Like I mean, you know, Scorsese's a Hollywood guy, like a old Hollywood fan, like you just have to act a court. Like, you know, you have to suspend your disbelief and just like pretend that like Harvey Keitel with a British accent is a Jew in the year zero AD. Like you, just, but like when he has his regular accent, you just are like, Oh my God, dude, I don't know, man, you know?
0: Yeah, it's, it, it was, it was off putting at times. Uh, but I, that is a big part of the movie that, that that's a big part of the history of the movie. So it's good. We mentioned it. Um, but I mean, but before we move on to Koon Dune, uh, you know, I knew this was gonna be a big episode because there's so much to say. Um, but yeah, the, and I will say I, act, I think
1: I think I probably ha- I think this is probably the best of the three, and I definitely had the most to say about this as opposed to the other two, just for oh
0: know. well I, I already disagree with that, but I guess Ooh, that's, okay. a, that's a that's a conversation to come later. Um yeah, so basically, do you think that we have a taxi driver situation with the end of this movie. Because I've never read the book. I don't know, but this is how I, 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 this is how I feel every time I watch it. um, That, that ending is too fixed to me. So when, when, okay, so the, the, the angel is the devil. Okay. And then he basically, Jesus goes and lives a life. Mary Magdalene dies and, and the angel says, well, you know, God giveth and God taketh away, so to speak. And then some other things happen. And then Jesus is old and he's, he's laying in bed and, and the, the apostles come and there's violence and people are dying. And he realizes he's been tricked essentially. Mm. So then he, you know, he, he says, I want to do it. I want to die. I want to be crucified. And and then he's back on the cross and he says it is accomplished and, and he's crucified. Like what is the end? You know, what, what is that? Is, is it that cut and dry? Am I being, uh, am I just reading into it too much? I mean, what do you think?
1: I mean, I thought it was pretty cut and dried, you know? Um, yeah, I mean the the whole. I mean, the, you know, and, and the title is the last temptation of Christ. I mean, what we get is we get an extended, um, essentially an extended uh, dream sequence. You know, not not to say that Jesus is asleep and dreaming, but you know what I mean, like like a fan,
0: like a fantasy, so to speak
1: of of of
0: right. like this is what could be.
1: Right this this little girl Satan is basically you know tempting him in the moment to you know, this is what you could have had. Right. And, uh, basically, basically what I think this is in specific terms, this is Christ thinking through the devil's offer here, right? Cause the offer is what get down off the cross, go live a, a happy normal life with Mary Magdalene, you know, have kids, you know, blah, blah, blah live your normal life, be happy, you know, and I think this is this is Christ weighing this. This is his last temptation, right? The temptations that he had in the desert, you know, those are canonical and in the Bible, but the very last temptation is, go ahead, get off the cross. You can do it. You're God. You can get off this cross if you want to. And that is, that's the final temptation, right? And I think that's how I read it. I mean, I, I don't, I guess well, that, I don't... That,
0: I, I'm... I'm leaning more towards that way. I guess this is just my, you know, our sometimes with movies, we want to see something when there's nothing there that obviously makes sense. It fits the title. It fits the narrative on all that, I just, uh, I don't know. I just think it's, it's just a really interesting exploration of struggle with faith and struggle with who you are. Um, And uh, I guess I just wanted to think maybe there was something there when there's not. And I think that's what it is. Cause I mean, you're right. I mean,
1: but I also think, but I also think, you know, you you do have some precedence for this, for like co- the King of Comedy ends in an ambiguous way, and so does uh, Taxi Driver, and so I think, but I do think those two endings are much more ambiguous than uh, this one, you know, simply because I think him overcoming that last temptation is kind of the point, you know what I mean? Whereas yeah. like the, the end of King of Comedy and Taxi Driver are like open-ended and like, I don't know, maybe it's a fantasy of, maybe it's the, fa- the the fantasies of the protagonists, you know, who knows, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think this ending is so powerful, man. I, I mean, it, it, it really is. I mean, this, this brings the, you know, you know, it, it, let's say you're not religious, you know, Reli- I mean, religion is, 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 is dying out really in America, mostly, um you know i don't know some people say we're entering entering a new theocratic age in the 21st century but that remains to be seen but you know you really have to understand the power of it. let's say you're not religious you think the bible is literature okay that's fine um but you know why was it so powerful right we're going to get to talk about silence in a minute why was it so powerful why do people endure the suffering and the the pain and the torture related to their religions. Why do they sacrifice their lives? You know, um, and it's because of this potent, you know, if you are not religious, literary image of Jesus Christ on the cross, accepting all of the weight of humanity's sins, right? Being sacrificed, being the sacrificial lamb of humanity that redeems us. Right now, obviously you ask the question, well, why is there an almighty God that requires a sacrifice? Well, the less questions asked about that the better because they don't really fit into the you know, they don't really fit into the emotional uh, uh heft of the Christ story. But like at the end of this movie when he fucking decides, no, I will sacrifice myself. I will dedicate myself to religious devotion i mean it to me it was like fucking uh michael shannon opening that door at the end of take shelter dude i I mean it was just it was just so goddamn powerful him saying no i reject this like good long life that i've had i cannot abandon uh i cannot abandon the thing that i'm supposed to be doing here I am supposed to redeem humanity. And if I don't die on that cross, humanity doesn't get redeemed. Like, dude, that shit is fucking powerful, man. And for him to be able to convey that cinematically, because the Bible is so nebulous. Like you said, it's breadcrumbs. Right. Like it's breadcrumbs. We don't. Yeah, we don't get the whole fucking picture. We, you know, we get kind of bare bones descriptions of what happened. And to be able to convey that in a traditional, you know, narrative like a movie, it's just goddamn, dude. I mean, it really it really hit me like a ton of bricks. And I didn't expect this movie to, you know, I like I just I didn't expect that ending that hard cut back to him on the cross. I was just like, I don't know, it like took the breath out of me, man. It was it was incredible.
0: No, i i agree i agree with everything you said i it's it's a very powerful ending and and not just was he able to do that in cinematic form and do it compellingly but he was able to do that in a movie where we pretty much already know what happens Mm -hmm. like yeah we already know how this story ends even if you're halfway familiar with church um so it's very compelling. Defoe was fantastic um i mean this this movie it's a masterpiece it's it's a it's a masterpiece that you know should get more love even from the religious community because honestly, to show temptation and doubt mm-hmm. isn't to condemn Jesus or what he did it's just a it's a way to tell the story and I, and I personally believe that the way the story is told is more compelling than just being like, no, this is what happened. This is how everything went down. You have to accept this. Right. So, yeah, I mean, and it,
1: it it reaffirms Christianity as, you know what I mean? This movie made me feel good about Christianity as a concept. You know what I mean? Like, which is hard to do in these, these times when we have, you know, seen the damage that that some of these ideologies have done over the like it, it it almost like reawakens you know that spiritual and religious sense that that is at the core of an ideology like christianity that has you know clearly been so influential on, on millions of people's lives you know it like it brings it alive on the screen and it's 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 powerful, man. I mean, it, it just, it, it's just powerful. I, you know, I want to mention, I know we're going long, but I mean, Hey, if anybody deserves it, it's him, uh, Scorsese, not Jesus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I do want to mention, you know, the ending after, you know, the ending it is accomplished, whatever, then we get a kind of a little piece of of cinematic transcendence, right? We get, uh, we get a little, a few kind of, it's almost like a stand breakage, uh, uh, image. We get some like little, um, how would you describe it? I don't know. It's like different lights and there's different, it, the, it reminds me of that scene in persona where the film is like rolling off the spool, you know, um, I don't know. There's just these little moments of, of, of light and color that happen, kind of at the end of the movie. And then that Peter Gabriel score kicks in and it's just, it's, it's, it's pure joy and transcendence. That's all I know how to describe it.
0: No, I, I agree. That's a great way to describe it. It's just, it's, it's almost alien like. Yeah. And it's just, it's just these colors and the music and everything. It's like, yeah, this is wrapped up. Like this is the story. And like, it's, it's triumphant. I mean, yeah, yeah,
1: no, that that's a good way to put it. It's triumphant. Yeah. It's God damn, man. It's like if, if Christians actually watch this shit, cause you know, most of the criticism comes from people who never would watch it. Like yeah. they would, they would, they would feel the power of this. I feel like, you know, like it, 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 it's, it's, it's powerful, man. I mean, okay. One last question. Um, uh, the, whenever, Uh, we're getting the kind of dream sequence or whatever you want to call it. And the apostle Paul shows up and he's basically saying like, people will believe whatever you tell them to, I'm lying to them and I'm telling them that you did die on the cross or whatever. What did you make of that? Because I think it's a striking, is a striking bit of the story to be like, you know, you can come off this cross and Christianity will keep going. Right? Like, Christianity will keep going. People will still believe in it, you know, like we'll just lie and say that you were raised from the dead, but that isn't enough. You know, like Jesus doesn't say like, well, I have to go back because then Christianity won't exist. No, Christianity still exists. It's just a lie. He doesn't go back for that. He goes back because of his personal quest to redeem the human race. You know what I mean? Like I, I just thought that was such a powerful little addition in there that like, you know, even if you do come off the cross, like we'll just get Paul to lie about it. No big deal. Everything will just keep on rolling the same way, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it. I think it speaks volumes to to only take the character of Jesus that we saw in this movie to where it's like it was he was still compelled to take the step. Like, even though like, no, nah, man, like we really don't need you to they'll believe whatever I say. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, no. A, uh, yeah. A
1: personal choice.
0: And uh, that was Harry Dean Stanton, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. 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 Harry. Dean.
0: <laughs> yeah. Man, Harry Dean Stanton, guy, the
1: Apostle Paul.
0: That guy, man. He was uh, he was he was a traveler. That's that. Uh, yeah. That was great.
1: All right, man. Should we jump into Kundun? You got anything else on this? I mean, we've talked a lot about it, but dude, I just I mean, man, what a movie, man.
0: See, I feel like there there's another there's one of these three movies that I feel the same way about cuz I love this one and I agree with you but I think that there there is t- to to my mind there is a clear best of the three but we're clearly going to disagree on that but we'll get to it um is it is an interesting one this is a movie that nobody saw this is a movie that some people don't even know exists Um, it is, it is based on a, a biography of, of the Dalai Lama, uh, Melissa Matheson wrote it. She asked for the Dalai Lama's blessing and he gave it. Um, you know, most of the people in this movie are not actors, uh, you know, and it's a, it's, it's a very interesting story for Scorsese to tell because they gave her a list of directors, essentially, because there was a great documentary on this. If you're interested in watching it, it's on YouTube actually. Um, And, uh, and she said, yeah, I don't want to talk to any of these people. There's only one person who I think will get this story. And they were like, who? And she's like, Martin Scorsese. So (laughs) Scorsese was handpicked to make a movie about the Dalai Lama.
1: That's so I
0: think, yeah, I think it speaks volumes about not just what he believes and what he struggles with, but it speaks volumes about the person he is because she knew him well enough to know this is a story he wants to tackle. Right. Um, right. And honestly, that this is what it is, guys. It's really about the 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 Dalai Lama. You know, it came out a few it came out a few months after Seven Years in Tibet, which was a very popular movie, honestly, that, that had Brad Pitt in it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's odd that we got two movies. I, I do want to say, though, you know, better late than never. Um, I think we all agree with what I'm about to say, or most of us agree. But uh just want to give a quick fuck you to Disney um, <laughs> and fuck you to Michael Eisner, you piece of shit.
1: Yeah, um, I read that, too. Yeah.
0: Yeah, they you know, Disney didn't put anything behind this movie. They 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 did not. You know they they didn't Scorsese, who's very you know you can read all about this in Wikipedia if you want, um, on Wikipedia I should say. Uh, you know Scorsese's a very nice person. He rarely has a mean thing to say in interviews, but he did say for him he personally didn't think that they they pushed the picture enough. But Michael Eisner, the former Disney CEO, said um, that he called the film a stupid mistake. He said, the bad news is that the film was made. The good news is that nobody watched it. I want to apologize and in the future should prevent this sort of thing, which insults our friends from happening. Now, just a little bit of quick context. It's very easy to get across. Uh, The friends he's referring to is communist China because (laughs) China hates the Dalai Lama. For those of you that didn't know that, which most of us should, Um, they hate the idea of this religion. They convey that very well in this movie. Um, but this movie deserved to be seen. It's a beautiful movie. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned the people in the, in, in the last temptation, you mentioned, uh, how, how interesting it was because we rarely see that. And, you know, a lot of different colored people and costumes and the way they showed these religious icons. Well, this movie is much of the same in terms of he really dove into the culture. And mm. the great, the great deacons was the cinematographer on this. And you can tell because this movie had some ridiculous shots. Yeah. Um, so I love this movie. I think it's also a masterpiece, not just because it's Scorsese. I think it's a masterpiece of filmmaking and storytelling. I think that has a couple of flaws that we'll get to. But what did you think of kundu? You, you know,
1: I, I, I thought it was great. I really did. I I think its main pleasures behind this movie are, um. The main pleasures behind this movie are sensory, right? This reminded me of like a, a Powell and Pressburger movie or like The Red Shoes or Black Narcissus or something like that. Like it's really, really highly sensual. You know, we got this beautiful score from, um, goddamn it, what is his name? The the modern composer, um, Philip Glass. Yeah.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, we get this beautiful, you know, score by, from Philip Glass, which is apparently influenced by all different kinds of Asian scales and tones. And we get, you know, the imagery is beautiful, you know. And you know, I, I think what we're missing here, I, I don't think there is a lot of thematic uh, resonance here, and I don't think there is a lot of good storytelling here, which is fine. Not every movie has to tell a good story. Not every movie has to you know, de- D uh, dive deep into the depths of what it means to be religious or whatever, you know, I think this is largely kind of a hagiography, ha- ha- you know um, it's uh, the Dalai Lama is not a complicated character in this, um, nor does the movie make his story very complicated. It is simply about a good man who stays being good and deals with some difficulties and, that's really it, and that's that's fine. Like th- this, to me, is Scorsese as ethnographer. This is a guy who goes to learn about all this stuff, learn about the Dalai Lama, le- goes to all these different locations, and learns about all the different rituals, and is just so excited by the whole thing, and just puts it all on screen. You know, like he puts the rituals and the costumes and the music and. um all that shit. He puts it all on screen and he revels in it and he draws out the sensual nature of the sand, you know, sculptures and you know, it's, it, it's, it's incredible. It's an incredible piece of sensual filmmaking, but I don't think it has like really that kind of thematic resonance, you know, like um, I don't know, just for example, you know, I don't think the character of the Dalai Lama is very complicated, which again, that's fine. That's not what this movie is. But I also think that, you know, around the time period in the 90s, there was some real interest in the Dalai Lama and interest in the sense that, like, you know, the 90s was a very end of history moment, right? History is over. The Soviet Union is vanquished. Um, Now we are all just going to convert little pockets of the world into liberal capitalists. And um, and that is that's going to be how 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 the rest of history goes is us converting little pockets of the globe into, you know, liberal, democratic, capitalist societies. And that'll be that. And so China was of particular interest because it was like, well, what's going to happen with China? You know, 1998 was looming, which is when uh, Hong Kong was um, scheduled to be given back to China after being a British protectorate for 100 years. Um, So, you know, that was happening. The whole Taiwan, Taipei thing, had just happened in the 80s where the government had, uh, or no, excuse me, that wasn't the 80s. Um, yeah, no, I got the Taiwan Taipei thing wrong. Um, but regardless, you know, this is China is, um, is kind of in the cultural conversation and Tibet is a good focal point for it, because it's clear, you know, that that China, um, uh, basically annexed uh, Tibet and took it over and The rest of the world did nothing because we want to continue trading with China and keeping the wheels of capitalism going. And um, that's that, you know. Um, So it it becomes kind of a a, a cause for people to be interested in free Tibet or whatever when you know, it's one of those slacktivism things where nothing's really going to change. You put a bumper sticker on your car and that's it. And so this was a thing in the 90s and the movie doesn't really interrogate that, right? It kind of, it kind of just plays the party line. You know, it doesn't really, um, Mao is kind of a cartoonish figure. Um, it, it, it kind of uh, makes him out to be, uh, bumbling almost and, and like just kind of a tin pot dictator. Um, you know, whereas, you know, in real life, there was legitimate complaints of like, you know, obviously, you know, erasing someone's religion, Yeah, is is that that's the crux that really um, that really brings down the hammer on the whole thing, you know? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Why don't you step in here? I'm 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 blathering on.
0: I'm going to say I agree with you wholeheartedly about the Dalai Lama not being an interesting character, and I'm going to say that also the story did not that it didn't tell the story it made a bunch of, you know, I, I'm sure sh- this is, this has been a thing. I believe Roger, I believe Eber said it when, when he reviewed the movie. um, And, and I've, and I've seen this movie three times now. And I, and I kind of feel that way about it as well. It, it shows you the story and it shows you what's happening, but it's all very chopped. There's a lot of time jumping because we find this, that we find the Dalai Lama when he's like five years old. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of time jumping. So the, So the movie shows you the story and there's some really good imagery and it's beautiful, but there isn't really much of a compelling story because as you pointed out, and and like I said, I agree with you, the Dalai Lama, there wasn't much of a struggle in terms of internal, there was never a struggle like to accept anything Mm -hmm. because they, they, they got him so young. So the struggle really starts when the movie's wrapping up, which is China. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I feel like that's a that's a that's a, a a thing you can struggle with if you watch this movie. But I'll be totally upfront, not just because I love Scorsese, but I went through a period where I was like kind of obsessed with the whole Tibet thing. So that's when I, I, I sought this movie out and watched it. And uh, and I also watched the documentary in the same day and it became something that I was super interested in. So I do admit that that probably causes some blinders in terms of the flaws of this movie. But I. I will, you know, definitely concede that that the the things you brought up are correct because honestly, watching um, Mao, he reminded me of Randall Park, yes. in in the interview. Yes. So it's like you could have, like, if you had gone the other way, and if you had showed us, like, he's literally saying what you believe in like what you've lived your life to do, all the people you help, everything that you guys are participating in, it's poison. And we want to eradicate it. You will do what we say. When we say we will use your military how we want, you will sign this document. You are our property now. Like that would have been so much more compelling in a story form. A, if it had happened about an hour earlier than it did. So we see a bit more of the struggle. Right. And B, if it wasn't being delivered in such a cartoonish manner.
1: So. Yes. No, I, I agree. You know, that, that I think, you know, is, I was going to, I was going to be a little charitable and say, you know, they're not necessarily flaws, but I guess they are, you know, not every movie has to be perfect. And, you know, but I, I still don't think it takes away the pleasure of this movie, which is letting the images and the sounds wash over you. You know what I mean? Like, that, that I think is the main pleasure of this movie. And that is no small thing that is, that is no small thing. Because again, Philip glass, Deacons, Scorsese, you know, this, this beautiful, um, uh, alien to most Westerners, uh, culture. Um, or if not alien, uh, then certainly bastardized via the Janice Sopranos, Janice Sopranos of the world. Um, <laughs> and, um, so yeah, I, I, I guess in summation, speaking of Sopranos, I would say, Marty, Kundun, I liked it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think uh, what, what, the first time I saw Sopranos and Christopher said that, I was most surprised that he watched Kundun, much right. less like was <laughs> able to reference it and conversa- in a very brief, I can't even call it a conversation, a brief interaction with Martin Scorsese, Um <laughs>
1: Hey, man, it's so, Scorsese, you know, I heard somebody say one time it's Scorsese, even the homeless people buy tickets to see the latest Scorsese movie in New York, you know?
0: Yeah, I wish that was true for the rest of the country and the world, because sometimes the man gets no love for the art he puts out. But I will say, like, this movie is worth a watch. If you have not seen it, you know, if this is more of a deep cut Scorsese film, um, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I've seen Coon Dune as much as I've seen Goodfellas, you know? Um, but it's worth watching because clearly like it continues on into silence, you know, as after silence and we wrap up, I'm sure we'll mention this again. The through line is still religion. If, if the Dalai Lama wasn't having self doubt about being the Dalai Lama, we still witnessed persecution and religious oppression And, 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 With silence, we witnessed that plus the doubt. And with Last Temptation, we witnessed it as well. So this is more of an outlier in terms of there's not a lot of doubt there, but there still is this being persecuted for what you believe. And just telling the story about a religious figure that, I mean, uh, you know, I don't particularly buy into a lot of those philosophies, but I mean, it's fucking nuts that the rest of the world, if this had been Christian, or, or another religion being persecuted. I mean, I say that, but as we speak, China's persecuting Uyghur Muslims and no one's doing anything about it. But, you know, and then and if this had been a Christian nation, I wonder if the world had reacted differently. But, like, no, China was just going to come in and just fuck up some monks, and we're all just like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, Like, it's nuts, man. It, it's nuts. So the, the movie's compelling in its own right, but it has its weaknesses and flaws. I'll say that.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I I think the key thing when when thinking about it in relationship to the other movies, the thing that I took away was, you know, this is, this is, this is, like I said, a hagiography, right? This is, this is, Scorsese is making a movie about the Dalai Lama, a man who he greatly respects and admires and clearly doesn't see any flaws in it with. And that's fine. That's a way to make a movie. Young Mr. Lincoln, uh, the John Ford movie with Henry Fonda. That is another example of that kind of movie, you know, and that's, that's completely fine. Those, those John Ford made a couple of those actually. And that's a completely fine kind of movie to make because there's, you know, other things that, that, you know, you don't always need this kind of like self-torturing protagonist. In fact, it's kind of a relief actually, because you can just sit back and, and chill and let the thing wash over you, you know, um,
0: Well, you're right about that. Real quick, I'm glad you said that because watching this in between Last Temptation and Silence, it was kind of nice to kind of, because I haven't seen this movie in years, same with Last Temptation. It was kind of nice to see a figure not struggling with morals or doubt. It's like, yeah, I just accept this and I'm just going to be a good, helpful person. Like that was nice. You know
1: yeah i mean it's 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 good vibes you know that's what i always say and it's um
0: it was good vibes till think... china showed up
1: <laughs> yeah so. definitely um but but i think but i also think that like the through line from this to the other movies is that you know scorsese made this movie about a man that he really admires john ford did it about a great american hero abraham lincoln scorsese does it about a religious figure which i think is is telling you know religion it's very important to this man, you know, both the positive, negative side, he, he is very interested in people that are very devoted to their faith. And we'll obviously see that, uh, in the next one silence.
0: Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, he's, he's, uh, this is clearly something that he's obviously you mentioned earlier about the priesthood. This is clearly something that he has given a lot of thought to, and there's a lot of substance there. So, you know, go watch Coon Dune. you know, it's, it's worth watching. Uh, it's, it's free on YouTube. If you don't have a copy of it, I don't think it's streaming anywhere else. Um,
1: yeah, sadly.
0: But, uh, silence, um, you know, I, I introduced Coon Dune and talked a lot in the beginning of that one. Tell us about silence. What's your history with this? Like, did you, I don't think you, you didn't watch it when it came out, correct? You also, this is your first time watching this as well. <sighs>
1: Yeah, I I never watched it when it came out, which is, you know, of course, very unusual for me. But just the subject matter didn't grab me. I mean, like, probably like most people, you know, it was a box office. All three of these movies were absolute box office failures, by the way, it should be mentioned. Uh, Don't make movies about Philistines out there. (laughs) Yeah, Don't make movies about religion if you want. uh, Well, I don't know. The Passion of the Christ made made a lot of money. Uh, I don't know. Anyways.
0: Well, it was telling a story that everybody could be like, yeah, this is agreeable. So we'll just dump money like churches were renting out theaters to watch Passion of the Christ.
1: That's true. Even though, I mean, Passion of the Christ, I mean, it'd be interesting to compare the two. But Passion of the Christ, I mean, with some of that violence is so much more brutal to watch than, you know, than Last Temptation. Um, You know uh silence okay silence you know i never watched it because which again is unusual i mean i you know not watching a new scorsese movie i'd seen every scorsese movie basically when it was released going back to i think kundun probably going back to gangs of new york um i had seen every scorsese movie shortly after it was released um uh, but this was the only one I, I didn't and i i let the irishman skip by me before i i went and saw it or before, obviously I, I haven't seen it till now but anyways um yeah, I mean this is Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver they in a in a little bit of movie magic they play some Portuguese uh uh missionaries who basically go on a heart of darkness apocalypse now style hunt for uh Liam Neeson. Um and, uh, and Liam Neeson who uh is apparently went native in Japan uh and uh uh, re- uh completely you know not uh What am I trying to say? Renounce. He apostatized.
0: apostatized.
1: Yeah. Apostatized. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, this is them looking for him uh, while also trying to maintain a small community of Christians um, in Japan and the persecution that they endure. Um, You know, I don't know. Let's get into what you because clearly you think very highly of this um, of this movie. Um, I I I think it's great, uh, but clearly I think it may be on another level for you.
0: I walked out of the movie theater. I went and saw this by myself um, late showing it only played in theaters for like, you know, a week. Um, mm-hmm. And I walked out thinking if this is the last Scorsese movie he makes, like I'm happy with it. Right. Um. It, it was such a, I'm not really susceptible to a lot of stuff simply because as we pointed out, we were both raised religion, but we don't really obviously practice much of that anymore so i'm not really susceptible to that but it was more or less the uh the people and you know the cynical side of me wants to you know i've seen this movie a few times that the cynical side of me wants to examine you know what is the correlation with poverty and christianity and 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 what you know they they even the the um what was the guy's name the uh the inquisitor even mm-hmm. points out, you know, Spain and and uh, Portugal uh, and England are trying to basically take root here with their beliefs. Why can't you just let us be Buddhist?
1: Um, mm-hmm.
0: Now, mind you, it's not that innocent because these people, that the, the Inquisitor and, and the government of Japan is brutally torturing and murdering uh, anyone who is practicing the Christian faith. So... I have to turn off my cynical side to appreciate this movie for what it is, because obviously dealing with missionaries and a lot of the other things that this movie gets into, like it's easy to be cynical. So having said that, I think it's a beautiful film about survival and love and just believing. Um, You know, I know that it's bizarre to see Andrew Garfield and, and Adam driver and Liam Neeson playing, Portuguese priests, you know, I read that he wanted to cast no names and and make this a have them speaking Portuguese, mm-hmm. um, but that got nixed early on for obvious reasons. I think the few the few thousand or whatever this movie made, it probably would have not made anything if that had been the case.
1: Right. Um,
0: so. But overall, I, I, I this movie is just, it does, it was, it was just as powerful watching it a few days ago as it was watching it the first time. Uh, and the second time for that matter, it's just, uh, it's. The end, the closing shot, you have to look past the CGI. Um, but the closing shot of, of the cross in his hand when he's being burned is really powerful, especially the way score says he chooses to zoom in and go through, um, you know, th- there there is some ADR issues that can be off-putting in this film. There's also some CGI green screen issues that can be a little off-putting uh, at times. But I mean, Scorsese has to work within the confines of the system, so it is what it is. Um, but I mean, yeah, I I I I don't. It's weird to me you didn't like this as much. I mean, what it what was off-putting about it? Like, did what, did you have a hard time with Garfield and the lead, or just the the story overall? Like what no, no, you no, no,
1: no, no, I, I, I wouldn't say I was put off of it at all. Um, okay, you know, I, yeah, no, I just uh, maybe I, I misspoke earlier. No, I, I, no. The only thing I was going to say is I think I think I just think Last Temptation is, is on another level compared to something like this. You know, like, yeah, you know, I, I, I mean, this is a conversation for another time. I, I don't know how many tears Scorsese has. You know, um, you know, the top is probably. You know, Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, Goodfellas, uh, maybe casinos up there. I don't know. But maybe if Casino is on that second tier, so is Last Temptation, you know. And then, you know, the third tier is, you know, some of the other good random stuff, The Departed, you know, Aviator, whatever. Um, again, I, I'm just coming up with it on the fly. That's not some kind of hard and fast thing. So I guess what I'm saying is Silence to me was um, was a level below Last Temptation, but a level above Kundun, you know Um, maybe something like Wolf of Wall Street would be another, you know, comparable movie to this. Like as far as where it lies in his, in his filmography, I, I I loved it. I really did like it. And I, I more admired it than I did love it. You know, it, it, you know, sometimes movies overwhelm you and that's how I felt with last temptation silence. I was like, okay, I get what he's doing. I appreciate it. This is this is a very, um, this is a very, very good movie. You know, this is very, this is a very strong, uh, working out of his issues of faith, you know, um, whereas, you know, then a couple of years later, the Irishman would destroy me uh, emotionally, thinking about, you know, aging, and we've talked about that ad nauseum on here, but um, But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I thought it was great, man. I thought it was. The the story is way more conventional than something like Kundun. It literally is an adventure story. Like the the main characters are literally trying to get to Liam Neeson. You know, Um, it's very clear that Scorsese admires the tenacity of these people who are enduring this persecution uh, in the same way that he admires the Dalai Lama and the Buddhists in um, Kundun. But also he does give a little bit more complication uh, that isn't present in Kundun, right? Like when I think that guy's performance is great. The Inquisitor, I think his, his performance is really, really, really special. Um,
0: I agree. He was a very, he he, he stood out like, because you, you hate him, right? He is this, mm-hmm. he is an awful human being. Like I I, I have no issue saying that these these Japanese guys doing this are akin to like the Nazis of world war two. I mean, with what they're doing. And I think he, he is like kind of their, their representation of that. Um, so you want to hate that character, but that character was done. I believe score says he like wanted it to be done in such a special way to where you walk away and you're like that care. There's something about that character. Like it's, it's- really hard to put into words.
1: It's Christoph Waltz in Inglorious Bastards is what it brought up for me.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, very like like a likable villain you should hate. I hate to even call him a villain. He just he, because when he talks to them they're the invaders, you know? Right. Like your Christian roots won't grow here. This is a swamp. Right. So why do you continue to do it? But Yeah and and then you see the reason you see the reasoning behind that thought but then it gets completely destroyed when they're torturing and murdering people for practicing a different belief like it's just a very it's a very interesting character
1: yeah i mean it's that th- this this level of complication is is what i think we were missing from kundun you know which again is a different kind of movie but um yeah, this level of complication. Mao is a is you know cartoonish, like you said. He reminds you of Randall. He reminded me of Randall Park as Kim Jong Un.
0: Yeah, uh, that's what it was. Like your, that that yeah from yeah. the interview, like he it, it, to the haircut and everything.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was it was really really cartoonish, um, and but but here you know we feel the gravity of this man. This is an old man. This is a man who's whose job it is, is to keep the fucking imperialists out. And you can tell he is a man to be reasoned with, you know, and a lot of the Japanese people are, they're like, just step on it. It's just a symbol. It's just a gesture. Just fucking step on it. Who gives a shit? You know, like there's, I mean, we don't get to see the sadism, you know, obviously some of them are cold, heartless, ruthless, torturers and killers, but still some of them are just like just fucking step on it. Jesus Christ we don't want to do this you know like and and especially the the lead inquisitor where he's just like stop S- just stop get the fuck out get out of this country you know like and him and Andrew Garfield have some legit debates the, the, their problems are not resolved because you know the inquisitor is saying get out we do not want you here and Andrew Garfield is saying but we believe we have the truth like it would be sinful of us not to come and try to give you the truth you know so it's it's two immovable objects facing off against one another you know and eventually one object does move and it's the one that doesn't have any you know power of state violence behind it You know, and, and that's, you know, that's kind of the dirty little secret of all this shit when it comes to nation building and politics and blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, it's who has the bigger fucking stick. You know, who has the power of state violence behind them? That's who wins. It's not some kind of battle of ideology, Christian, Eastern, Buddhist, Western, you know, who, like who, what, which one is right. It's whoever has the bigger stick. And if you're in Japan, the Japanese have the bigger stick. They're going to they're going to break you. And they eventually do, of course. And it's it's brutal. It's a brutally complicated, morally. I don't want to say ambiguous, but uh, morally complicated movie. You know, not not that you're sitting there watching these people being tortured and being like, this is good, but there's just a complication to it that reminds me of like a genre Renoir movie where it's like everybody's got their reasons, man like, from these people's perspective, they literally are like, stop it. Get the fuck out. We do not want you here. And, you know, I mean, imperialists have used religion as a cudgel to literally go in, take over countries, completely uproot the national culture. Like, obviously, Japan didn't have any historical reference for that, but we certainly do, right? Like, we know that, like, the Portuguese went into fucking South America and introduced Catholicism. And now, you know, there's the South Americans are like as white as can be. You know what I mean? Like we know that shit fucking happened. So that adds to the complication of it as well. The Japanese are just trying to prevent what would eventually happen to a lot of quote unquote third world countries, you know? And
0: that's why it's so interesting to watch this movie because you have all those points of reference. Like, yes. Yeah. You have 500 years ago in the countryside, the the English Christians were killing every pagan they could find, convert mm-hmm. or die. And then you have the Spanish Inquisition, where the the said Jesuits are thinking of ways to torture and kill people because they will not buy into the Catholic Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there there's so much point of reference that makes this. It's so so you do kind of see. Japan's point of view and I think that's why Scorsese picked that guy to be the inquisitor because you have these thoughtful conversations where it's like well no it's really fucked up that that the country of Japan is brutally torturing and murdering people but in these conversations in in these moments in the movie I completely agree with you mm-hmm. like and that's and that's frightening as a viewer you know as a thoughtful viewer that is a little bit disturbing sometimes
1: you know? Well, he does. He doesn't let either side off the hook. You know no. what I mean? Like, I mean, obviously, his sympathies. You know, because this is a religious movie, his sympathies lie with the persecuted, the people who are being persecuted for their religion. It's clear that's where his sympathies lie, but he still doesn't let either people off the hook. You know, and that is, um, you know, now, now that we're kind of talking about it, this reminds me of the Irishman, man. This is. I wonder if Killers of the Flower Moon is going to be this way. You know, especially dealing with a lot of Native American issues, you know, that's um, you know these are you know, this and the Irishman richly textured, complicated works. These are they're like knots. You know what I mean? There, there's there's big time problems here in these movies. You know, in, in the Irishman it's the you know the the aging and death and all the different, you know this is this is how my life ended up and how did it end up like this? Blah 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 and then you know the you know obviously silence dealing with you know questions of faith and imperialism and and all those different things and i guess i guess when i say i prefer last temptation i prefer i prefer the transcendence that happens at the end of last temptation you know th- that to me is just more appealing than this kind of not of a movie that just sat in my gut like a like a ball full of lead you know what i mean like
0: well i mean it's the ending of last temptation as we said is more triumphant this ending you don't feel anything if anything you feel either heavy or empty yeah i mean yeah
1: yeah, exactly exactly and and you know I, i mean i don't know how close we are to wrapping up but i think that speaks to The variety of of this trilogy and that's why I think this was such a great fucking idea because we wanted to do a lesser known Scorsese, you know, kind of episode. And this was perfect for it because he's able to treat religion in three different ways. You know, in silence, we've got late ruminative Scorsese, you know, no easy answers. um, Things are complicated so on and so forth, like, like you said, you feel empty inside, you feel like there's a, there's just a lead ball in your gut, you know, it's, it's, it's draining to watch this shit, Um, and then you've got Kundun, which is essentially a documentary, almost, like, a, almost like a reenacted documentary of, of a culture, and a, and a place, and a time, you know, and then you've got Last Temptation, which is pure cinematic you know transcendence it's it's fucking or day the end of or day when that motherfucker raises from the dead you know like it, it's it, it's pure transcendence the kind of movie that he would not make today uh because he's a different you know he's at a different stage of his life he's a different artist and that's um the fact that he's able to do all those three different approaches at different stages of his career um I mean, what more can you say, man? I mean, he—he's he, a genius. He's a genius, and Goodfellas isn't the fucking half of it. It isn't a third of it. It isn't an eighth of it, right? He's known for the gangster shit. It isn't. It isn't even you know one sixteenth of the whole story of what this man is capable of uh, with cinematic art, and it's it's you know it's incredible.
0: And I mean, you know, just that—that that would have been a great way to end it. But I, I have to say, like. I'm glad after you watch silence, I'm glad we didn't get the the more of the, of the struggle with the Dalai Lama in China, because I feel like he couldn't have been able to do it as much because the struggle from a faith perspective, wasn't there with the Dalai Lama. If he had shown the last half of that movie and, and I said before introduced that struggle an hour earlier, I feel like we would have seen more of just him running from the Chinese as they bombed wherever he was sleeping and he was being smuggled in and out of countries. And that would have made for a compelling story. But the Dalai Lama, and this isn't a knock against a person who is choosing to be good. I mean, the Dalai Lama didn't really seem to have a struggle of faith. Mm
1: -hmm. But
0: with silence, we see it throughout. Andrew Garfield is constantly saying, God, are you even here with me? Are you struggling with me? And that is a question that we know Scorsese has asked. Yeah. Like in the tough times in his life, we know from how he talks and how he's very clear about what he believes and, and clearly telling these types of stories. We know he struggles with it. And it's just, it's mind blowing to see such a personal touch be shown through a movie about, you know, religious persecution in, in this in 1600s Japan. It's nuts.
1: I mean, I'm glad, no, I'm glad you, you added that on too, because that's, I mean, that's a key part of it is, is Andrew Garfield's, you know, doubting, you know, and he, he, he keeps referring to, you know, a, a lesser movie would, would have the, you know, the, 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 the protagonist be like, God is silent. Uh, you know, he's not speaking to me or whatever, but this character, Andrew Garfield's character takes god's silence as a given this is not his first fucking rodeo right he's a monk he's or he's a priest like you know he's a priest missionary he he doesn't have to be um uh he, he doesn't ha- he does not learning that god is silent so he keeps referring to it as your silence right he's taking it as a given and he's saying like your silence is it's getting to me right it it it's I need something else here. I need a sign. I need something like I normally can deal with the silence. I'm I'm starting to not be able to deal with it, and that is that's that's tough, man. Especially when you devote your life to something like that, you know. And I mean, I I don't know, man. I I was wrapped up in in this stuff more than you were. I think I can say that, and not to get too personal, but like I've I haven't been Andrew Garfield in the fucking fields of Japan questioning my faith, but like I I was pretty devoted at a certain period of my life when I was younger, you know, especially in early adulthood, maybe like 18 to 20. And, and I, I mean, I struggled with these same issues, man. These are, and ultimately I decided that I couldn't do it right. That it didn't, Jesus lives in your heart or he doesn't. And and it, it wasn't there for me. I wasn't able to maintain that level of faith, that level of devotion. It didn't, it didn't take for me, you know, like it does for some people. Some people have it. Some people have that devotion. They have that faith. You know, you can say, well, this doesn't make sense because of science. And they go, yeah, it's faith. I don't, I don't care about any of that stuff. And that gets a lot of people in trouble. And clearly I think sometimes it's something to admire. Scorsese clearly admires it, you know, and it's, um, I don't know. Did you, did you ever watch Winter Light? Did we watch that as one of our Bergman movies? Um,
0: no, I don't believe so.
1: It, it's basically First Reformed. Uh, it's what First Reformed is kind of based on. And it's basically a, a just a fucking pastor in Sweden who's just like, I can't deal with it. I cannot deal with the fact that God won't fucking talk to me. He won't respond. He won't leap out of the page. He won't send me a sign. He won't nothing. You know, and that's... That's that's tough to deal with, man. You know, well, I mean, uh,
0: I think it needs to be added that Scorsese was given this book in nineteen eighty-nine. And right,
1: right, yeah. And
0: it was a passion project, and, and, and it was supposed to be made a few different times, and it kept getting development hell, which I think Scorsese has described and would not have a problem with us describing it as the story of his career for the most part. Yeah. Um because, you know, he just makes some interesting projects that sometimes studios have a hard time getting behind. I mean, for instance, Flowers of the Killer Moon almost fell apart. Mm-hmm. You know, so these things happen. But it, it was something that stayed with him for over 25 years to make this movie. And, in, and if reports are to be believed, he got the idea to make all of these films at some point within a 10-year span, or less, possibly eight, depending on when he was actually given the book of Last Temptation, which it may have been 79. Point being, Mm. if you line this up with the struggles he was going through that he's been very vocal about in interviews and and, and in books where he's talked about how he was struggling with certain things, not just with his career, but with his personal life, as, as carrying that Catholic guilt, him and Schrader joke about Schrader carries Protestant guilt and Scorsese carries Catholic guilt. And yeah. when you look at those struggles, it is not a coincidence. He landed on all three of these projects and ended up doing all three because within, they are complete reflection.
1: That's fascinating, man. Within the, within the span of eight years, you know, um, yeah. And that eight years includes, you know, the raging bowl and, 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 and that being, um, you know, his thinking that was going to be his last movie and all that. Um, Yeah, I mean, we
0: we just, we just, the storytellers like him are few and far between now. And no offense to modern filmmakers, but sometimes it takes, I think Samuel Fuller is a prime example of this. Sometimes it takes a life lived to tell stories a certain way. Oh, yeah. And, and, uh, you know, I think Scorsese just, we kind of see that. I think we see it much more on a personal level with the Irishman, which obviously, as you've already pointed out, we've talked about ad nauseum, but you know, you can see this man through the art he puts out and he never fails to amaze. I stand by thinking he's the greatest living filmmaker. And honestly, if push came to shove, I would probably put him in my top three greatest of all time. The man is a master.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, he's a, he's a cinema God. You know, there, there's no other way around it. He's, a, you know, and even, you know, even taking away like cinema and what movies mean or whatever, he's a great artist. One of the greatest, you know, we're, we're lucky to have him. Um, Yeah, we're lucky to have him. We're lucky to have him keep working as long as he can. Um, You know, I, oh, I did want to mention one last thing. This is, this is not the poetic note to end it on, but I did want to note, I did want to mention, I think, I think Scorsese really enjoyed doing a movie set in Japan. Uh, you know, because we know obviously he's a big fan of, you know, Kurosawa and
0: uh, one of his,
1: one of his 10 favorite movies is Ugetsu. Uh, and I feel like there was a, there was a couple little Ugetsu references in there, you know, like there was, uh, like when they're in the boat, uh, going across the water and stuff, I was like, I know. It's
0: funny. It's funny. You say that, dude, I was watching this with my wife and she was like, this scene is so great. And I was like, we need to watch Ugetsu. Like, yeah, yeah.
1: that's
0: what that's where you get it, man. Yeah. it's I'm glad yeah. you brought this up.
1: Yeah, I was I was just thinking like, y- you know, watching it, I was just like, I, come on, Marty. I know I know you had to get to in mind when you had this boat, you know, when you when you shot this scene, like it's, you know, it's uh I don't know. I Like, I was just ha- I feel like just happy for him, like by proxy. I was like, I'm glad he got to make a movie that's in like Japan, you know, that's in like ancient Japan um, especially since we know a lot of his cinematic influences come from there. Um,
0: well, I mean, so. it's also interesting because Yugetsu obviously was more or less a horror movie. Um, so there's scenes not just with the mist and the boat and the sky, but you know, when those guys come to the boat with their hands out and they don't speak the same language. So yeah. you just have these people coming to the boat. Not only is it disturbing because you have no idea who, who you can trust. It was also very ominous. It was a very, it was a very horror type scene if you want to get down to it. So that, yeah, that yeah, was yeah, just yeah. really, it was really good.
1: It reminded me of the movie with the masks. Do you remember what that one was called? Um, um, Onibaba. Onibaba. Remember yeah,
0: that? Baba. Yeah.
1: yeah. 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 Cause I mean, they're, they're hiding, you know, in those, that wood hut and, you know, it's kind of, um, yeah, yeah, no, there's a lot of that. A lot of you know, the, the ja- quiet you know, the Japanese ghost stories and, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was nice to see him, him, him play around in that toolkit, you know? Um, Cause something like Kundun doesn't have a lot of like cinematic uh, references. You know, it's not like that's an area of the world that has been mined cinematically, but like, you know, Japan, there, there's lots of cool shit you can do there. And he, he definitely did, you know?
0: No, absolutely. I mean, guys, I think both of us can agree. You should watch these movies if you haven't seen them. Um, You know, and Scorsese, you know, we're going to do another episode on Scorsese and we'll obviously pick some lesser known films as well. But I mean, these if you want to get to know this filmmaker, don't watch Goodfellas as as tempting as that is. Mm -hmm. You know, you need to watch these these movies that kind of more or less reflect on his life uh, as a human
1: yeah and i think i mean i'm I'm not springing this on you because we've talked about a little bit about it off pod but like i think uh, i think we may lean into that for the next few months you know when it comes to director episodes really trying to um really trying to uh kind of complete some of these um great directors that we've talked about in the past and kind of diving a little bit deeper before we move on to other directors you know um yeah absolutely yeah, that that'll be a fun exercise, you know. It'll be like this basically with you know Hitchcock, you know Kubrick, you know Kubrick's probably got a couple more episodes we could do.
0: Um, you know that kind of thing. Um so yeah, as long as you promise not to continue to disrespect Kubrick, I'm I'm fine with that.
1: So, well, you know, one of those movies is probably going to be Full Metal Jacket, so it's going to be hard for me not to. Uh
0: fair enough. Um so uh so guys watch these movies uh you know we you know we we can't stress that enough uh one more time if you want more of this
1: real quick jacob where do they go patreon.com slash silver screen video good community building over there you got a good little community going uh come over and uh and join the fun
0: absolutely and uh guys we will uh like jacob said be doing some some second volumes of some of these directors have also got a couple of guests we've got lined up so we got some surprises for you in store coming up so make sure you uh, stay tuned to uh, future episodes but aside from that Jacob do we got anything else before we wrap it up
1: no let's send it home
0: okay guys you got a supersized episode this week and I think it uh, is only fitting for the for the properties we discussed so Um, thanks for stopping by the silver screen video we will see you next week